0: Hey everyone, this is George Edelman, editor in chief at No Film School. On today's episode, I interviewed Luke Greenfield. Luke is a filmmaker, director, writer. He made The Girl Next Door, Let's Be Cops, The Animal, and coming up very, very soon, Half Brothers, which is a new film. Luke is really skilled at blending comedy and drama or seriousness he has a way of shifting gears within his stories that i particularly appreciate and he also has what is probably the best or one of the best hollywood stories that i've ever heard um it's just an amazing story and it has to do with starting out with aspirations with heroes and uh we get into that part very early on in this interview but definitely check it out And we circle back to aspects of it later on. So Luke was very kind and gave us a lot of his time um, and is very honest about his experience working for big studios, working with big names. He holds nothing back, which is rare and delightful in this time or ever. But I also want to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, let us know what you think, send us comments or questions at ask at nofilmschool.com, share this podcast with your friends, be sure to check out our other interviews and our weekly episodes. We'll do a little recap at the end and bring up a couple other things happening over at No Film School, but without any further ado, let's hand it off to Luke Greenfield. I usually like to start with asking any guests we have on the podcast. Your unique case, but I'll get to that in a second. Okay. What was their you know moment of inspiration? What got them excited about this this field? What you know first first put them on this path? I think your story is is about that particularly is is quite, kind of amazing. But <laughs> if people don't know it, I'm I'm excited for them to hear it and uh i i just i just know going in that it's it's unique but um great yeah it's a common first question for me so but i'm excited to have you say here tell us on the podcast
1: cool yeah i mean as far as i mean first inspiration you know i I, uh i always wanted to draw and so when i was like you know four or five years old i was drawing these picture books but i was such a terrible artist it was so frustrating (laughs) I just didn't have that natural ability. And then my uncle gave me a Super 8 movie camera when I was about nine. And I fell in love with it. You know, I started just doing a lot of trick photography and stop motion stuff. And that kind of went into really ultra violent ninja flicks and little short films with tons of blood and guns with my friends. Yes. Um, As
0: we all do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I still had, you know, it's funny. I, I had this whole like, tub this like uh, plastic tub of all my old super eight films that I have still yet to transfer the, to Blu-ray. Right. But, uh, so we yeah. Have to do a
0: director's cut with a commentary. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, and then, and then I have this, I, you know, I have this memory of me being in fifth grade in the library and reading this book or maybe no, it was a magazine article. It was a magazine article, a life magazine article on Steven Spielberg. And at like 10 years old, I was shocked to realize that this, this one guy had made, uh, jaws and Raiders and ET and, uh, poltergeist, um uh, and close encounters. And I was like, Oh wow. He did all these movies. I get this guy's cool. <laughs> and then, yes. and, and right there that from like nine, I guess that became an obsession. I, I, I kept reading about him and reading about him. I oh, this is way before the internet. And, uh, you know, realizing that he really wanted to get into the USC film school. And I started researching the USC film school when I was like nine or 10. And then I just became obsessed and that was it. Like my whole childhood was literally, I gave up baseball and sports and I just started making tons and tons of films. And my whole goal in childhood was to get into the USC film school and you know, in a way, try to follow, even though Stephen didn't go to USC, even just try to follow Stephen's path, you know, his, his insanely uh, fortunate path of being so young to begin, you know, making movies.
0: Yes. But, um, and you did go to USC film school.
1: I did. I did. I was very yes. lucky. Um, it's you It's know, very again, hard
0: to get in, even if you start trying when you're nine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to be honest with you. So I started writing letters to the dean of admissions of the USC Film School when I was about twelve, um, nice. <laughs> and, and at the they time, were very
0: familiar with you, I would imagine. They really were.
1: I mean, honestly, at the time, I didn't even know how to spell admissions, so I kept writing letters, to, <laughs> letters to the dean, the dean of emissions, which I'm sure he got a kick out of. I don't, you know, he wasn't working for a, an auto repair shop, and then, um, and he can started you writing just, back. Can, can you tell
0: before? I want to know what he wrote back, but what were the content of these letters like? And was there an adult like checking them or was this just an independent like project at nine? 10,
1: 11? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just, I would, you know, would type up these short letters just saying, Hey, you know, I'm the Greenfield. I live in Connecticut. Um, you know, I'm making films. I, I would actually send them. I would send them my, my super eight films transferred to VHS, these poor, poorly transferred VHS tapes. and, it was interesting because at the time at the time I was applying to USC Film School at 18 as an undergrad, they would not they wouldn't watch your work. You weren't allowed to send work, but when I was starting at 12, I was sending them films and I believe they were watching them. Um, and so they kept, you know, uh, he's, he's passed away, unfortunately, but David W. Johnson was the head of the film school back then. And he would write letters back saying, great, you know, keep it going. You know, I'm sure they were just, I'm sure they were very amused. I'm sure they were amused at this little 12 year old writing him. Um, yeah,
0: but it's, that's so cool that they took the time to encourage you. Super cool.
1: Super cool. I did. I just remember, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, George, I have this memory now that just came to me of when I was older, maybe 15, calling USC Film School, and they sent their kind of brochures to me. And I was shocked. I thought it was a typo because it said, We only admit 30 people a year. And I was like, Oh, that's a typo. So I called them and I'm like, Hey, you know, I, re- I read this thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, it says <laughs> you only admit 30 people a year. So, what, you know, how many, it must be a typo. How many is it really? And the guy, you know, this guy didn't know me at all. He was like, it's 30. And I'm like, oh, well, how many how many applicants do you get? And he's like, I don't know, 10,000. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. You <laughs> except, 30, <laughs> except 30 people out of 10,000. I, I just remember this guy, he, you know, he was probably an assistant or something at the time, but he was so yeah. cold to me. He's like, hey, man, I'm telling you, it's harder to get in here than, Har- than Harvard Law. So don't, so I think he said something like, don't bank on it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, I was like, well, you, you. and you were like,
1: Dude, I've been banking on it for six years already. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I remember that. That's, uh, that I, remember, I remember that kind of broke my heart and, and put a wave of of worry into my fifteen year old self. But you did it.
0: That's, I mean, first of many achievements. But you did actually do it. And oh, again, yeah. I, I think that that's like it, it's really hard to get into USC. I,
1: I, yeah, I, I was super lucky. And then you know, at the time, I, I think the story that you want to get to is is my mom right my mom's story yeah.
0: <laughs> yes let's talk about that <laughs> part and we'll circle back to where that that reincorporates into your your path
1: sure sure uh you know my mom you know i had a single mom for years and i'm an only child and so mom and i were very close and mom mom worries a lot and again you know we're, in, we're from connecticut so we didn't know anything about the business we didn't know anyone you know we didn't know any realities And my mom was nervous. My mom was very nervous about this path that I wanted to take and to to go all the way to California to go to film school, and she was very worried. And so, without me even knowing, um, she wrote this really passionate letter to Steven Spielberg. Um, Not, you know, obviously not not knowing him, and she she sent the. My mom's a really great writer, and she wrote this really passionate letter. Pretty much the, the thesis of the letter was, does my little Lukey have what it takes or should I tell him to stop and, and, and we should do something else? And she didn't tell me any of this. And she sent, she sent the letter along with two of my Super 8 films in high school and a research paper. I'd written this long research paper in high school. It was called Steven Spielberg, The Star They Wouldn't Let Shine. And you can can tell how old I am because the paper was all about how the Academy Awards would always snub him. And so, Ah, you know, so if you go back to color purple and empire of the sun, like especially color purple, I think it was nominated for every single category, but director just to kind of, just to kind of stick it to him. And so I wrote this whole research paper of like, how dare them and this whole thing. And and she included that in in this package to him and send it off, send it off to Amblin entertainment. Um, and I'll mention
0: Steven Spielberg <laughs> pretty much,
1: pretty much. I'm sure. I'm sure it was like, dear. Yeah, exactly. And I remember being in the kitchen after school and uh, my high school calls. And I thought it was kind of weird. I'm like, I didn't do anything that bad this week. And uh, the receptionist at the principal's office was telling my mom, Hey, we don't want you to worry Mrs. Greenfield, but we've been getting calls from supposedly Steven Spielberg's office asking for your <laughs> home address. And of course, of course, we're telling them, of course, we're telling them, uh, you know, of course not. And we're actually hanging up on them now because they've been very persistent. And then my mom just started screaming, no, no, it's real, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, I, now I'm finding out what the hell happened. I'm like, what, what Steven Spielberg, what's going on here? And my mom You're told me everything. for me at my school. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what, the reveal was this. The big reveal was that somehow, some way, this package got to Steven somehow. you know it, it went through a number of <laughs> a number of levels, number number of hurdles, probably a number of assistants. And he wrote me this this two page handwritten letter back. there, you know, it, it, the most amazing thing that happened in my childhood. And what it turned out was that my mom, in her excitement, Forgot to put a return address <laughs> to her package, so wow. these Stephen's assistants at the time were screwed because, as as I was told the story from Stephen and his assistants was Stephen wrote this letter, you know, put it on the assistant's desk and said, "Hey, here, this is a letter for that kid," and then the assistant freaked out, going, "I have nowhere to send it," and of course, probably didn't tell Stephen this, and then had to research. Yeah, you know, this again, before the internet, wow. so though, they, re- they had a research, l- luckily, they had my research paper, and it said Staples High School, and they researched where my high school was in America, and, and found me.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, I didn't know all of that. And what I, as, as you describe it, I'm just, even though the stakes are completely different, I'm seeing the Saving Private Ryan sequence, where they're getting the letter <laughs> up the chain, and the guy finally sees it, and then he says, find this woman. And then they go, and then though that, that assistant was was saving private Luke Greenfield. A
1: hundred percent.
0: And so you ended up, you know, you didn't just go to USC film school. You ended up becoming a filmmaker, a director of major motion pictures, and you ended up meeting and speaking with Steven Spielberg at some point about this,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, again, I had such an obsession with this man and... You know, all through film school, I was trying to meet him. You know, I'd, I'd call Amble and say, hey, you know, he wrote me a letter when I was 16. <laughs> and they were literally like, we don't care. Um, <laughs> that assistant's then, gone, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then it's funny. I, I'll tell you two things before we get to the you know, me finally meeting him was uh, I was working as a, a runner uh, during the summers and they were shooting Jurassic Park. And I snuck on to his set. And this is the first time I've ever seen him in real life, and I was like standing in the corner, like just shaking. And I remember him driving up in his golf cart, and I, 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 if you knew what I looked like back then, you know, I don't know if it's, I, don't, I don't know if this is a, a good thing, but I I looked very much like him. I, I could I could pass I could pass as his son. <laughs> and I remember him getting off his golf cart to to go to the to the stage, and he and he was eyeing me, and and I was terrified. And then all of a sudden, you're never going to believe this, the the second AD came up to me and said, hi, uh, who are you? And I said, oh, uh, I'm Luke Greenfield, blah, blah, blah. He said, yeah, you need to leave right now. So <laughs> little, little did Steven know that he kicked me off his set. And then, um, you know, look, I, I don't mean to, to blab on and on, but uh, the USC film school graduation, we were very lucky that Steven Spielberg and George Lucas spoke. And, oh, man, and that's so, crazy. So we were my class was, speak
0: at every graduation. No, I think like, that's the only yeah. time we
1: did it actually. Wow! And so, and so here's an interesting story for you. So I'm in cap and gown with my 30 classmates. We're about to we're about to walk, and a bodyguard security with the earpiece came over to the group of us and said, "All right, who's Luke Greenfield?" And I, everyone looked at me. I raised my hand. I'm like, "Dude, whatever it is, I didn't fucking do it." I'm telling you,
0: <laughs> once again. And,
1: and he looked at me very seriously. He, he's like, "Let's go." And I had to follow him like through this back hallway of the shrine. And all of a sudden into the VIP room, there's Steven. And the, and, and the security was like, hey, Steven, this is Luke Greenfield. You wrote him a letter when you were 16 and just walked away. And Steven, Steven had no idea what was going on. And so we're, we're the exact same height. <laughs> so like he's, we're just face to face and he's just staring at me. I, I think, you know, he was nervous. He, he's about to go talk to the entire film school. So You know, I'm sure he's in the green room, just not wanting to be bothered. And I just remember just blabbing to him. Oh, you know, I'm Luke and I, you wrote me a letter on 16. I'm from Westport, Connecticut. And he didn't say a word. And I remember actually like trying to shake his hand and jabbing my hand into him. (laughs) But I think think Steven was just so thrown off. He was just, and he, he kind of was, oh, great. And just kind of walked away. And I was like, oh, fuck. And then it wasn't until... I made this film The Girl Next Door and uh you know Dreamworks at the time had told me that he really loved the film and I was like oh wow and they said yeah he wants to meet you and so I went in the Amblin you know just uh, you know and by the way I'm 32 here so it was it was literally yes, exactly, it, was, it, yeah. it was exactly 16 years almost to the day that he wrote me and he walked into the room I believe with a Xerox copy of the letter oh and and he was laughing and he was like, you know, he's like, I saw this film. I saw it twice. This girl next door movie and little did I know I had no idea that you were the same kid. And it was just, it was just the amazing, we must've sat there for at least two, two and a half hours. And it was just the most incredible, you know, he called my mom. You know, I told him that I'm very superstitious and that if I was, if I told my mom I was meeting you, you'd probably cancel. And he looked at me, and he was like, so your mom doesn't know we're here. I said, no. <laughs> and, and my cell phone was sitting next to me. He goes, call her right now. And he, <laughs> he, 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 he literally said this. He goes, call her, but don't tell her who I am. Don't Don't tell her you're with me. And, you know, I called my mom. And, of course, she's like, Luke, I'm really busy. What do you want? And I said, there's someone here who wants to speak to you. And Stephen just made her hysterically cry. I mean, it was unbelievable. Mm. I, I just remember Stephen just like – I felt bad for Steven because he was like, it's okay, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Because my mom was just freaking out.
0: That's so cool. You know, there were quite a few years between USC and The Girl Next Door. And in there, you did a short, you did The Animal, the Rob Schneider movie. So tell me a little bit about what gets you from like USC, Great Film School, and then all the way to like, wow, I'm directing my first feature film. Like there's a lot in between there. There's what, a lot. What was it for you? Like kind of what were the steps to get there?
1: It's a great question. Those were the dark years. Um, <laughs> and they really were. I mean, I came out of USC. I'd made a, I made a student film um, that got a lot of attention. I got an agent right away. Nice. Um, and I really thought, I really thought that like, okay, this is it. I'm on the path. This is exactly what I wanted. And uh it, that was not the case at all and it was it was i was finally being hit with with the harsh reality of the business um yeah and so immediately you know i'm poor i have no money um you know how to do you know how to be a pa and then i i had to learn to write um i was never taught how to write screenplays um at film school which is kind of shocking and yeah um, you know,
0: you know. And,
1: and so i had to learn how to write you know it's funny my agent my student film got a lot of excitement. This is before the right hook. And my agent at the time, it was a guy named Jeff Robinoff who went on to run Warner Brothers. Um, He's a very cool dude. Um, He was putting me up for like movies like Happy Gilmore and and even even the original Bad Boys. Um, And I was going up against, you know, people like Michael Bay. (laughs) I think I remember one executive watching my little 16 millimeter student film. And he's like, yeah, that's cute. That's cute. If you were me... Who would you hire? And I believe he. Oh no! I believe he showed me. I believe he showed me Michael Bay's amazing Levi spot um, and all these really cool. These the cool famous spots. Aaron
0: Burr spot too, like which is part of what got him on the uh, on
1: the map. A hundred percent, and he showed me these spots. He's like, well, "Who would you hire?" And I'm like, "That fucking guy, man! Hire that guy! <laughs> <laughs> what are you crazy? Um, Welcome to Hollywood!" Yeah. yeah. So it, so it it just didn't happen off a of student film and it was really rough in regards to um, and I'm making a movie about this right now. Actually, I'm casting a movie that that has this kind of spirit of what I felt was the ageism and what I felt was, you know, everyone saying to me, look, man, come on, be real. What are the chances? What are the chances you're going to make it? You're not going to make it, dude. Yeah. And all this horrible stuff. um, And that, that kind of, that, that innocent kid inside me with the super eight camera was, was dying. Yeah. Um, and then I and, I and I didn't touch a camera. I, I didn't direct things for years. I mean, I tried to break into, you know, when I came out of film school, the music video world was still very hot. Yes. Um, could not get in there for the life of me. And, you know, I was starving and all these music video companies would look at my student film and go, yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. You really need to do a, a spec music video. And at the time, I was like, okay, well, how much does that cost? And they're like, oh, probably 10 grand. And I'm like, 10 <laughs> grand? I, I, I can live five years off 10 grand. (laughs) Um, And so it it just didn't happen. Music videos, commercials, like I just could not break into that. And and then I just struggled to write and I wrote and I wrote, I wrote all these screenplays, you know, long story short, I was going to make this 30 minute short film um, based on a movie that that, a short version of a movie that I'm actually about to make. And, uh, and it was just unrealistic. And then I had written a screenplay with David Scotty, this really great actor and we had written this ten-minute short called "The Right Hook," um, and we we begged, borrowed, and stole, and literally stole to make that film. I mean, it was it was insane, and it worked out. I mean, I made a short film that um, that you could definitely not make today. Um, <laughs> I would be in jail. I would probably be in jail if I made this film today. But it was about you know guys' fears of my fears of approaching single women at bars, and the main character realizes that. You know he's he sucks at it. He doesn't have a hook, but he finds out that if he can get into a into a fist fight with the girl he's hitting on, well, that would break the ice and maybe that would work out. And so it was really about a guy, you know, oh, punching man. punching girls. Um, so
0: and I'll never forget, you know,
1: George. It's really funny. My mom of all people, my you know my biggest supporter, uh, read the script to the right hook before I made it, and she called me. I am not kidding you, and said, "Luki." if you make this film, your career is over. You are insane. And I remember being like, what are you, sick? Are you sick in the head? Like, wh- why, would you, why, why would you even create some such a thing? And, and we went for it. We went for it, we made the film, and because of its content, and I would have hoped to think because of the the tone of comedy, uh, it really hit. And, um, and I was very lucky. There was a manager named Jonathan Branstein at the time who just loved it. He, he had a rough cut of it, it wasn't even finished. And he said, "Can I please just show this? Because I didn't want anyone to see it until it was done. Can I Please show this to one person." And I said, "Sure, we'll show it to one person." That one person had to be having to be Greg Silverman, um, who also went on to run Warner Brothers, and he showed it to Todd Garner. And Todd, Todd Garner got it to Adam Sandler, and then all of a sudden, I was in the room to you know interview to be hired for this Rob Schneider movie called uh, The Animal.
0: Wow. That's yeah. You know, it happens fast when it happens. Like
1: it does, but to be super clear, because I, I want to tell everyone just to be really clear, it, it was years. Yes. It was years. You know, what I mean, like I was really had these illusions of grandeur that it was going to happen at twenty two, and so envious of Paul Thomas Anderson and the uh, oh yeah, the the Menace to Society brothers who hit so young.
0: I mean, the nineties was full of guys, mostly guys, um, male filmmakers who were coming right out of film school or right out of something like a Sundance lab, like BTA or like having made. it was just an explosion of that. Like, and yeah, I can only imagine being, you know, well, I know from my own experience, but it's like, sometimes you're like, you're part of the way there or you clear certain hurdles and then you're sitting there and you're like, wait what's next, like, where's the next thing? Like, and uh, you're watching it happen for others and it's tough, but you, you know, that, I think it's a it's a great story because you won a kind of a lottery, right? Like you yeah. got to USC and yeah. you had a great short there and you got yeah. an agent interested and you're already like, you know, that's like the 20 yard line or whatever. Right. But then it like starts, stops and starts and you persisted and, and found a way back through your writing and through a short. And that, that's, you know, it took a while, but that's a great story. And then you're making a few trips you know, for, for Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider. Um, and that, you know, it's a big studio movie. So
1: I imagine. It was, it was huge. Film. Looking back now, I, was, I think it was like 27 or 28, but I, I think I shot, I think that movie went on for like 65, 70 days. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it was insanity. I mean, I've never had that kind of time on a movie. And, uh, but it, it, again, just to be, you know, I just want to be very honest. Yeah. That, was a, that was a very rough, horrible experience for me making the animal this really yeah horrible horrible um how so you know I, I coming out of film school you know you have these ideals and, and you and you you want to tell great moving visual stories and you want to impact people um Rob schneider is is a very tough guy very very tough and I will never forget when I got the job George uh people would call me and they'd say you know buckle up dude this is going to be the fucking, this is going to be the worst time of your life. And you know, it's funny. Oh, wow,
0: really? I didn't know that about him. I've never heard that.
1: Well, the filmmaker, Mike Mitchell, who's gone on a huge success, he directed the original Deuce Bigelow mm. and, and I got scared. I remember calling him saying, Hey, what, you know, what am I in for? What, how was your experience? And he was like, dude, it's going to be really rough. He's like, <laughs> all I, the only advice I give you is just, man, just sit tight and just try not to get fired. Oof. And wow. literally, and that was my goal of the movie, I kid you not, was just not to get fired and just to get through it.
0: How did you do it? Like, what was the key to that, to doing ah. that successfully? Because you didn't get fired.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And look, and Rob Schneider, you know, it's not like he's a bad guy. Um, sure, he's, yeah. He's just tough. And I will say that the people around him, like Adam Sandler, incredible. Like, the nicest guy in the world, Jack Garaputo, who was his Producing partner at the time, incredible guy. You know, all the people around were, were amazing and supporting me. But you know, I, I, I go to film schools a lot and I speak. And 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 this is a good lesson that I always bring up: is the hardest thing I think about filmmaking, the scariest thing, is to go with your heart, um, and to, and to do in your to do what your gut is telling you. Because I'll tell you, I'm the animal, and I'll be really honest here. Joe Roth who ran the studio again who was awesome sent sent a you know he knew he knew what I was in for he sent a message to me through the line producer and the message was direct the movie direct your movie and I I kid you not the line producer who had my back he 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 relayed that message to me and then he said and if I were you I would not follow that advice
0: <laughs> wow that's <laughs> so, it was pretty so crazy.
1: intense it was pretty crazy Look, I mean, I, did I direct the film? Yeah. But I, <laughs> I, but I did not have any say whatsoever in anything. And yes. so And so coming off The Animal, which I was very lucky because, you know, uh, to me, I did not make that movie. Like when, I was, when, I, when that movie was done, I knew I didn't make the film. And if this movie failed, that means I'm dead. I'll never work again on a movie that I didn't really quite make myself.
0: Yeah, that's such a tough spot to be in. But it's probably even more common for young filmmakers now because so much of what gets greenlit at the higher levels is is major IP that has a lot of powerful voices behind it. So 100%. you don't so so that story is was probably uh, is is just super applicable I think to to filmmakers who are like I have to if I fail it's on me, if I succeed, yeah. you know, maybe it's not so much on me. Um, yeah. I just have to survive. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that was it. You nailed it to, to survive. And, and so going into the girl next door, which I did right away, was the exact opposite experience. I mean, it really was. Is uh, you know, unfortunately, God, it's so unfortunate. Uh, the producer of girl next door just passed away, Chuck Gordon. Oh no! Um, Sorry to hear. Who's, that. who's a wonderful was a wonderful, wonderful producer and one of my biggest fans. And uh, but I went into girl next door, you know, writing a script that you know, I absolutely loved and spent so much time perfecting the script. And then when we went to make the movie, you know, it was funny, Chuck Gordon, who's a Southern, you know, a Jewish guy grew up in Mississippi. He would, he would always say, he's like, boy, I don't know what they did you on the, I don't know what they did you on the animal, but you just need to calm down. Okay. No, no one's, no one's against you here. Cause I, you know, I really went into Girl Next Door of like, this has to be the movie that is me. This, I have to, you know, I have to make a film that is just me. And yeah. so, and and I'll tell you something, as an old man now, looking back at the girl next door, again, I was probably too young to appreciate the experience. That was the only film I've ever made that was not compromised at all. Mm, wow. That's a big that's a big deal at that day. And, you know, and I'll tell you just to you know, Sanford Panich was the guy who ran the studio at the time in New Regency, who I'm actually working with now on this other movie, and he just he just let me go. He just let me go and did the movie I wanted to do. And all this, all the music you hear in The Girl Next Door, all these songs, they were all written into the script. And I'll never forget, like when we first test screened the movie and we test screened Huge, everyone loved the music. But, sure. but the studio was like, this music is two, $2 million fucking dollars. No, we're not paying for this. <laughs> and then they made me replace every song. We, then we retested the movie and it scored lower. And so, so the studio went and bought all the music, you know, that was written into the script that I remember the music wow. supervisor was saying, like, you're not getting under pressure. You're not getting fucking the who, kid. And it all worked. And and really, that that is
0: a testament to the power of a test screening. Big right?
1: time. Big that, time. Like, you don't
0: often get stories that, that work out for the artist in the test screening. But that's Big one time. where it was like, well, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. 100%. Uh, Girl Next Door was a big, I remember when it came out and being like, oh, this is like a, it's fun because it's like, it's high concept comedy, you know, like yeah. it's, it's conceptual um, yeah. and, and the comedy is, is like in the situation and the concept of it. And it definitely yeah. broke through and it must have been a cool experience. I can only imagine as so many people can to have a project where you're like, this was my thing. This was yeah. one where I got my way. And yeah. it resonates with yeah. His
1: audiences. Yeah, honestly, George. Yeah, it was, it was one of the best times of my life. Um, truth, truth, be told, though, The Girl Next Door bombed at the box office. Um, the girl, Next, everyone thinks it's this huge hit because it was, it was a gigantic hit in DVD when people finally saw it. But um, they had Fox had a really hard time trying to market the movie because the porn angle yes. um, was so rough. And you'll laugh, but when the movie was tracking. The week before I was tracking, I was tracking for twelve-year-old girls, <laughs> and you know the, the main audience—the eighteen to twenty-five-year-olds—would watch the marketing materials and be like, "That movie looks so cheesy. There's no way I'm going." And I remember the head. Of the, I remember the head of the studio, Tom Rothman. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I sneak on sets all the time. I snuck on the set of Mr. And Mrs. Smith, and he came up to me and he said, "Look, Luke, we love your movie. Uh, we did we did you a huge disservice. Your movie's going to bomb this weekend." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: well, yeah, yeah,
0: marketing is huge. And coming up to like the recent project to Half Brothers, um, yeah. but also to talk about like, let's be cops. It's, in, these are instances where you're trying to do a tricky thing. I, I think it's a shame that this is a tricky thing to do because I love these kinds of movies, but you're trying yeah. to combine something honest and dramatic, maybe sad, maybe disturbing, with something like funny. yeah so you're trying to to thread a needle that look people want things like people in marketing want things that fit in a box like who is it for what's it going to be and if you're saying things like well it's a comedy but it's a little dark or it's a little weird or it's a little serious or like you know even in half brothers and you know you talked about a single mom and i'm kind of curious how much of half brothers which which you didn't write but um How much of that story resonated with you on the level of like, he's, he's kind of like looking for this father figure or, or trying to discover this. Father. Yeah. Um, uh,
1: listen, that, that's a, that's, that's a very a,
0: serious part of a very funny movie.
1: It's a great question. And, 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 what you said about, you know, they want it in a box, you know, th- th- that, that, has been my big challenge in my career is that I, I, I like to blend genres. And if, if you look at my work, you know, Girl Next Door, even Let's Be Cops, it's like, those aren't straight comedies. And right. And In Half Brothers, the reason why I made the movie, the whole reason, was I wanted to make a film that had two completely different tones and to see if I could walk the line between grounded buddy comedy and a very dramatic, heartbreaking, somewhat tragic story of a Mexican immigrant and to interweave those so that would it be possible to make an audience laugh hysterically and then within minutes maybe – start crying and then go back to laughter and then crying i mean it 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 just excited me it excited me the idea of it, could i pull that off would it be possible because just like what you said george is my experience is the industry kind of frowns on uh two tones you know dramedy is a is a bad word to say in a pitch yes yeah and so you know and what you always hear is pick a lane is it a mm-hmm. drama is it comedy pick a lane mm-hmm. And, uh, and we didn't do that in this movie and, uh, it seems to be really resonating. You know, we had our first test screening right before the apocalypse in the spring and, (laughs) and it was amazing, man. It was amazing because we had 400 people just laughing hysterically and then everyone was crying and and we tested through the roof and it, 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 you know, it seems to be working. It seems to be working. And so, you know, I, I was really excited about that goal, but sorry, to answer your second part of your question. Yeah, I mean, for this movie, um, I had to do something I didn't want to do, which was dig deep into <laughs> Just my like parent
0: character. <laughs> yeah, into my it,
1: me and Luis, you know, Luis is a <laughs> is a huge movie star in Mexico, and yes, the way the way we met and we on Skype, we were talking about our fathers and we were talking about divorce and uh, you know, and I, I'm going through a divorce right now, and so I had to really, you know, in order to, in order to, in order to get the truth. In order to be super emotional and really hit a chord and really move people, you've got to be fucking honest and so I came to set you know with Louise, with the writers, and you know and we worked on the, the script for a while actually how did you,
0: How did the uh, script come to you? I want to keep going on the idea on the father's thing, but I want to know, yeah of course. Like, how did, how did you get the script?
1: God bless Jason Schumann, who I went to film school with oh yeah. Um, <laughs> he was the original writer and producer, and he kept calling me saying, I have a movie for you that you have to make. And I was on another movie. I was like fully on writing this movie at Sony, and um, he wouldn't stop. God bless him. And I read the script, and I said, look, this is a beautiful film, um, but you know I'm on this other thing. And Jace kept saying, I am telling you, this is what you've wanted to do. You know, I know you never want to be a comedy director. I know that you want to move people. This is your field of dreams. This is your, you know, this, he sold me. And I jumped in and, and we, you know, I got with Luis, the, the Mexican movie star, and and we did a ton of work to the script. I mean, a ton. And, and we really, we went in saying, no matter how unlikable this character might be or his decisions, we got to make it honest. And so, you know, the movie about forgiveness. This movie is about a very, you know, bitter, angry guy who hates his father and him learning to forgive him. And so, you know, I had a, <laughs> I had to, you know, I had to really get into my issues that I didn't even know were so deep rooted. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty fucked up guy, I realize.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of this good, a good source of comedy, also a good source of drama. But I, you know, I, it's just. It's, it's fascinating that you and Luis shared that yeah. because it's a, it's obviously a big part of the story, but I feel like it's just coming back to Steven Spielberg. It's a big part of what Steven Spielberg movies
1: are about in a way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. A
0: lot of people love Steven Spielberg movies, but I would imagine that the, some of the resonance that makes it go above and beyond for you is that that's a big topic in all his movies.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, he's look. He's the master at it, and it's funny. Like, if you want to go full circle here, that handwritten letter he wrote me. You know, I was too young to understand it. But one of the great lines he wrote of advice to me as a sixteen-year-old, which you know was too advanced for me, was what did he say? He said, "He said imagination. Uh, something imagination is the beginning. Imagination in telling a great story. But he said, truth in the telling." Is what really reaches audiences, and that's what you got to do. And hmm. of course, I'm a 16 year old, so I'm probably like, what, what the fuck does that mean? But <laughs> you know, but getting older and realizing it, it's like, and that's that's why you know he's he's one of the best filmmakers ever in cinema history. Is that you know he he knows what great story is, and he's always bringing such such honest truth of his soul you know i mean his 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 parents divorce crushed him as we all read about and we saw the documentary we know um and he i mean if you go back and look at et i mean it, it's heartbreaking it's a heartbreaking you yes. know close, close encounters it's heartbreaking
0: yes i i love that you try to or do combine things like um these ideas of, of serious pain i mean the movie starts with some Heartfelt moments between a son and a father, and it goes, yeah. it turns, and it's painful. And you're like, wait, am I supposed to be laughing? But it's so <laughs> nice as an audience member to watch something where it's not spelled out consistently, like what you're supposed to feel. You're right. asked to shift gears. Um, but what I also like, you know, again, like Girl Next Door, and I also see Let's Be Cops in the same vein with you, is that it's there's a situation you created where I remember seeing the ads for Let's Be Cops and thinking, like, oh man, I wish I wish I'd thought of that because the concept. <laughs> is so funny like the concept is funny like too many times i think you know we get a comedy where it's like uh well this is a funny person and they're just right. they're, they're right. hilarious everything right. they say is going to make you laugh it's going to be jokes right. but right. you took a movie and you were like instead of just a funny person i've got an idea that's going to create jokes <laughs> not that to me is like that. I wish there was more of that, to be
1: honest. Yeah, well, uh, thank you. It's a huge compliment. I mean, you know, let's be cops was, was also based on my life, I and mean, I actually did impersonate police officers and get arrested for it. Um, <laughs> okay,
0: so so you were. T- it was the truth in the telling, right?
1: A <laughs> hundred percent. But but to your point, uh, and thank you for the compliment. Is my pitch on Let's Be Cops originally was take young Vince Vaughn and Favreau out of Swingers and throw them into the wire. I said that's <laughs> I said, that's what's going to be funny, and obviously, you know, the end product. You know, the movie did get a, away from us a little bit, um, but you know, the, the the comedy to me, the entertainment to me, was you know, me and my dumbass friend. What would happen <laughs> if you, if we you, if you had to deal with people like Stringer Bell and Avon Barksdale in <laughs> yeah. uh, or, or Marlow in in The Wire, and, and that's funny to me, of like normal idiots you know, dealing with real consequences where you actually could get killed.
0: Yeah. No, I, I love that. I mean, it, normal idiots uh, by fault of their own because of their own silly behavior, like just being dudes, <laughs> like stumbling into something that they should absolutely not stumble into. When you say it got away from you,
1: uh, yeah. in what
0: way? What do you mean?
1: <laughs> oh, you're an amazing interview. I love it. I love you catch on to <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, you know, tonally, tonally. You know, it, like it's hard. It's hard to make a big studio comedy. It's, it's like we talked about, you know, you, it, they make you choose a box. Um, and I understand why, you know. I mean, it's a big concept. Let's make it a big, broad comedy. But, you know, the original script was, was not broad. I mean, it really wasn't. I mean, it was really, you know, and, and the themes in that movie were very strong about, you know, what happens when you turn 30. And you are not the person that you wanted to be, that you, you, know, mm. you thought so much farther in your career or whatever. And so you know, that movie was really about these two guys who, in pretending to be police officers, it gives them this confidence, this invincibility to mm. become the guys they want to be. And then the way the journey goes in the original script was, okay, but can you do it without the uniform? Can you, can you be the guy? And so it, the original script was a lot more dangerous. There was a lot more yes. real violence, but you know, I'm making up for it now because I'm doing a movie I'm casting right now called we are untouchable that, you know, it has exactly even, even more dangerous tone than the original let's be cops that I'm excited to make that you, I, I think you're gonna be excited about it. It's very, yeah.
0: it sounds like you, it sounds like in some ways, the nature of the business has shifted. So there's more opportunity in, in streaming and in, you know, releases that aren't like you, you were a little handcuffed, no pun intended by the size of these projects. It sounds like, and the expectations to hit what they say, the four quadrants, you know, and maybe you're able to be more nuanced.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, was
0: that true with half brothers?
1: Yes. I mean, half brothers is a different story because it's the smallest movie ever made. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny movie at focus and focus is so filmmaker driven there's always studio notes. There's always, you know, I mean, sure. I, I, I want to be as honest as I can with you um, and, and to the listeners. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when you make a movie tiny, you should be able to do what the hell you want. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's it's the, my only restraints on Half Brothers, and, the, and they were big, um, was, was budget and time. I mean, it was, this is not a small movie, but it was a tiny budget.
0: Yeah, and,
1: yeah. And, and I'll tell you, George, you're going to laugh. It's like there was a period before we were greenlit where we were constantly going into Universal to focus and going over the budget. And I remember the head of production, uh, this guy Lou Phillips is a great dude. He kept looking at the budget and then looking at us and saying, I, I don't even know if this is possible. <laughs> <laughs> wow. and, and, it, and it was scary. It was scary because he said this is the smallest movie Focus has ever finance has ever made. And wow. we don't even know – you guys are a science experiment. We don't even know if this is even possible. And w- I think Half Brothers is like the little movie that could because there were so many things about this movie that uh, just were not going to happen. Like it was just not going to work. And, you know, and it just seemed to work. It seemed, you know, it, I think it's my first time this experience of the movie has a life of its own. Like, I, you know, I'm normally the guy who never takes no and pushes till his death. But, you know, this movie – uh, jumped over a lot of hurdles that you normal normal film people would never think could have happened.
0: Wow. Yeah, well that that I mean it's hard, it's it's impressive to hear that it was so tiny and that it was an experiment. It certainly doesn't watch like that.
1: Oh, thank you. But thank um, you.
0: but it, you you know there's there's a lot of things like I think make sense about the movie and conceptually why it was worth worth taking the chance on, even if tonally it's it's in multiple places. I mean, you have a major star in a different market, but like, you know, he's, he's broken through a little bit and, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited that things like that are happening in a play and a story like for all of our listeners, like focus features being interested in in making, placing some smaller bets, shall we say, is an exciting development.
1: It's amazing that a place like Focus is still going because, I mean, honestly, like, you know, I've, I've worked at Fox, I've worked at Warner Brothers, I've worked at, at Sony, I mean, and, you know, love them. But if I went with the Half Brothers script and said, hey, I want to make this film, they, they'd laugh their asses off. <laughs> right, be, yeah. yeah we, we'll give you a dollar. I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's. they don't make movies like this anymore. I mean, I, I, if Field of Dreams was not a book, there's no way in hell that movie gets made today. I mean, maybe, maybe the streamers, maybe independently. Um, yeah. It's really sad. It's really sad. You know, it's no one's fault. It's just the business has shifted so much. I mean, I remember being in a meeting, I don't know, four or five years ago. And, you know, I love Jerry Maguire. And I said, you know, I want to make this like Jerry Maguire. And, you know, the studio head said We're ne- we would never make Jerry Maguire yeah you know yeah it's it's
0: that's such a um that's such a good call though because that movie so that yeah that was 1996 and Cameron Crowe and I you know when I when you talk about things like uh shifting you know shifting gears laughing then crying you know I think of of filmmakers like going way back though like Billy Wilder and I know Cameron Crowe was being Big in, his a big influence on him was that those kinds of movies don't have a place in the mainstream. I hope through the streamers and through niche they find a place. But that's uh, it's yeah. Where where are the Jerry Maguire movies? Those were those were like a main. They were a main course back in the day.
1: And it's interesting because there's still a handful of filmmakers that are still. Like my absolute heroes like spike jones and david russell and fincher and you know damien chazelle i think is an absolute genius so you know i'm pt anderson of course and i think these guys you know are are going to still do what they what they what they do best and you know i think someone like spike jones who i'm just envious of I, i think he's like the most talented filmmaker in so many years i mean he's the best at it as as doing kind of funny interesting movies that are so heartbreaking you know, if you go back and look at adaptation, I mean, it's a masterpiece. You know, you're, you're laughing. Yeah, adaptation so hard.
0: is. Uh, There's some that, that movies way out there. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I mean, <laughs> you know,
1: it, isn't it amazing? I mean, Nick Cage, who yes, is one of my favorites, and, and I'm really happy that movie's getting made right now because like he's he's one of our greats. But you know, the greatest performance ever. I mean, he's so funny yeah. as Donald Kaufman, and then so heartbreaking. And you know, you cry uh, in, in his Charlie Kaufman character. You know.
0: Uh, yeah, Spike Jones finds a way to get these like elements. I don't know who, where, in the, but that um, he is, he is a, a brilliant filmmaker. And, you know, her, her is a good example of something that feels like it's a little bit of a concept movie. It's got a little comedy and a little drama, but it doesn't go hard on the jokes the way no. that, you know, that, that it's hard to do what you try to do, whereas like, I, like really make people laugh. But also really make them feel sad at the same time. Like there's there's kind of like there's a mid range people can fall in a little bit where it's like it's not going to be that upsetting or that funny. But (laughs) but doing it where you're like I'm going to go for both is you know it's
1: it's a lot. Thank you so much. That's that's a huge compliment. You know we'll see what happens. I mean that that first test screening was great. You know uh, I'm reading some critic reviews now that are very. Uh, very exciting, but you know, cool. you never know. I mean, yeah. look, it, we, we don't have a movie star in this movie, so it's gonna be very interesting. You know, we come out theatrically; we're coming out in theaters in two weeks, um, yeah. And it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know if this movie, especially, you know, it's so much harder now. I, I hope it finds an. O- I hope it finds the audience. You know,
0: you put it out there. You hope for the best. You have the next project. It, it belongs to the world. You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Of. But um, it's hard. It's hard to let go.
0: I always usually ask people what advice. I'm sure you have a lot, so I'm excited to hear your answer. here. <laughs> what oh, cool. advice would you give to somebody who's starting out now? Um, the equivalent of your Spielberg letter. <laughs> what would you What would you say to somebody who's really wants to do this? Might, maybe is just starting out or trying to figure out what the steps are.
1: It's a great question because you know it's different times today for sure. Yes, but 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 there's a lot of great things. a lot. Of, a lot of things better today than there were when I was coming up. Um, some of my biggest advice always is to write. When you control a script, when the script is yours or you know you control the script, you're you're in the driver's seat um, mm. and you're, and you're not you know it's very it's very hard. It's super hard when you're starting out to try to get hired to do a movie. I mean that, that that's a very tough world. You know, really try to write. I would try to find that one story that means so much to you that if you don't make it, you're going to fucking die. Right. Because a lot of people write things to sell, or, oh, I think this will, you know, this will get an audience. But write that story that, 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 that really means something to you. And if you can't write it, you know, listen, you know, there's many people who are not writers. I mean, I I don't even think of myself as a writer. Um, If you can't write it, find someone who can. Or, 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 or just find a, I mean, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a director, I think you're talking about just a director breaking in, right? Yeah. But I
0: mean, you know, really uh, anybody, but yes, a director, you're a director. So yeah.
1: So, you know, it really starts with that. And then whether it's a short film or whether it's a feature, it's doing something that so defines you so that, you know, when you get out there, you know, look, it's hard. How do you get the money? And it's a little easier today because it's cheaper. But it's still money. I mean, there's still yes. you still have, to have money, you gotta raise money to do this stuff. And so um, you know, just make sure that what you're making is something that really defines you so that when you get out there, you've taken your your best foot forward. You know, if you look at whiplash and you look at these movies of these, you know, these guys that you know that first come out or girls that first come out, it defines them. And and so yeah. that passion project that you have, you love it so much. It's it's a part of you, it's your identity that what it does is it make it makes you die for it, right? It's like you just don't take no. Because, look, I mean, you know, is like there's everywhere you go, it's no. You yes. know, even, when you're making, even making a film, no. No, you don't have the money. You don't have the time. No, you can't do this. And so, like, if you love it so much, you know, you just won't take no. And, like, you know, I think that's the key is, like, that's, that's what I kind of tell people is that no does, is no longer in your vocabulary. And, you know, and, and by the way, you know this business. You know, a lot of people that are not creative. Um, they hate that. They hate that. So you got to be careful because I've, I've gotten in a lot of trouble with that. As far as my don't take no attitude, because a lot of people are like, "Fuck you, you're taking no." Um,
0: <laughs> Stop calling. <laughs> Stop sending me letters at USC.
1: A hundred percent. Honestly, yeah. man, there are a lot of people out there who are like, "You're annoying now. I hate you." But I think it's that don't take no attitude. You know, like if you even look at the early early interviews of Fincher who, you know, his attitude, his way of filmmaking is, again, I'm envious of, you know, that guy, you know, look at him today and that guy never takes no. And if you, and if you say no, he's gone. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> You're right. It is really hard. You're going to hear no a ton. And I agree. Like, I mean, you're echoing a lot of great advice I've heard from others and also adding to it in that um, you need to really believe and stick stick to it stick to the thing you want to see done yeah
1: it, it, i mean if you can even find a way you know that when to to rewire your brain that when you get rejected when you get rejected when you hear no when you hear i don't like this i don't like your work then you can laugh at it and be like they're wrong move forward you know what i mean and, and to have that mindset you, you will win you i mean you will get what you want for sure
0: i like that that's, uh, that's inspiring. Like, uh, words before you come out of the tunnel, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. like fight through that, fight through those nose. Exactly. Well, thanks so much, Luke. It's been great talking to you and yeah. I'm excited for the movie. I'm excited for people to see it and, uh, come back the next time for sure. I will. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, thanks to Luke for being on. That was a really fun one to do. I really appreciate hearing from somebody about the honesty of the struggle. Uh, it's never easy, even when you've had success, even when you're on a set as large as some of the ones Luke's been on, there's still pressures, and issues, and I feel like he just gave us a lot of honest, serious, raw, <laughs> real, uh, what it is to work and not work in this industry, which I really appreciate. Um, and I appreciate having him on. Hope to have him on again sometime. Uh, be sure to like, rate, subscribe to the podcast, leave comments, share with your friends, share with your enemies. Let us know what you think. Email us at ask at uh, Check us out on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Go to nofilmschool.com the website. We have a lot of great holiday gift guides for filmmakers. So buy something for yourself or for the filmmakers in your life. Uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all kinds of stuff is discounted right now. So be sure to sift through those posts we have up on the website, find the product you're interested in. Um, And of course, always thank you so much for listening. Um, If it wasn't for you, there would be no no Film School podcast. So I'm grateful to all of you for listening and hope to deliver you more content that you enjoy, learn from. Thanks so much.